Hello, everyone. It's Harry, back with another episode of the Alston Pudding Podcast, uh, which is not sponsored by Polar Seltzer, not sponsored by Adam and Eve, not yet, at least. I'm gonna pull those two. You'll be entering podcast for a 10% off discount, whether you're buying bulk wholesale seltzer or, you know, all your fun toys. Um, pretty sure kids don't listen to this. <laughs> anyway, this week, uh, my guest is Allison Clancy, who is a musician, dancer, just really talented multimedia artist. Another one of those cases where just going through emails in my inbox and came across this one and said, oh, that looks, that description reads pretty cool. Let me check out this music. And just really was struck, struck by the music. Not just the music, but also, uh, so she, Allison sent me her song, Mutant Gifts, which you're going to hear. Uh, the first track you're going to hear to kick off the show is called Dreamland Tokyo. But then at the end, you're going to hear an eight-minute live performance. Well, live session. It, it's not from an, in front of an audience, but um, it's you know a, a live performance that was filmed. Uh, you'll hear more about this performance in the interview. But the song "Mutant Gifts" uh, that I I just you know normally I wouldn't put the entirety of an eight-minute song. I'd probably like fade in, fade out. But this is just. Oh, this is this is such a beautiful song, hauntingly beautiful. Haunting is a, is a word that's going to come up in this interview a couple times. Before I get into introing this a little more, I just want to shout out that Allison will be performing Wagner's "The Flying Dutchman" uh, as you've never seen or heard it before. It's going to be held on Friday, May six at eight p.m. at MIT. And it's in conjunction with the Met Opera of New York City. I'm going to include the ticket link in the write-up that's going to go up on AustinPudding.com. I unfortunately can't make that, but this event looks so, so cool. <laughs> if you're into ballet, if you're into to classical, to opera, this is definitely something you want to check out. You will hear Allison talk a little bit more about her history as a ballet dancer and uh, also her work dancing to the flying dutchman anyway yeah so that's that's all the intro stuff one thing i do want to talk about before getting into this episode i want to thank and i already sent her this via email but i had to thank allison immensely the other week so like i said this, her email came through my inbox i was really interested in covering it the first time we had uh we had scheduled to talk I was super busy that week and I, you know, just didn't, didn't have time to do my due diligence, uh, like listen to her music as extensively as I like to come up with talking points and ideas and, and things I wanted to cover. I really like to do that. So I asked, you know, if she'd be down to meet, you know, in a couple of days, the following week, she was appreciative that like, Hey, you're, you know, you're busy, but I appreciate that you want to do justice to, to my art and, and give yourself time to, to prep for this. But then, so we, that was supposed to be on a Friday and we rescheduled for the next Wednesday. Then all of a sudden on 
that week was wild. I had that interview that I was going for. I had my my final appointment with my former therapist. I have a new one, but I had one and it was she had gotten a new job. She's fantastic. Uh, she just could no longer take me as a patient because she was uh, moving to a different organization. Uh, we had a super validating last session and it, you know all was peachy for like three days because uh tuesday night after that uh, was when i got the call that my dad had died and so i'm like it's a whirlwind um you know i know i've mentioned it before i don't want to like spend every intro talking about this that's less about the audience you as an audience and more for me I'm going to do an episode, I think, just on me, my dad, and our relationship with music. But I, this episode, it's important to intro it because that Allison and I were scheduled to talk the next day, which I forgot about until early afternoon on Wednesday. And I was like, you know, I don't want to just unload on this, on this woman I don't know, like being like, oh, my dad died. I can't do this. But like, you know, I had to say, like, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I was just not, it just wouldn't have been, wouldn't have been good. So I, you know, asked, I just said, there was a family emergency. Okay. I hate to do this. Can we postpone again? Again, thank you, Allison, for being so patient and understanding. Um, rescheduled for like a week and a half later. And I knew that I had to like put my mind back into podcast mode just to like do something some of the time, just to have something to focus on. Um, so this was the first interview that I recorded after finding out my dad had died. So my first attempt to get back in there. And thank God Allison is so vocal and expressive about her work, her her dancing, her music. So expressive about her her experience as an audience member and how it relates to her relationship with the audience as a performer, her the 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 just the very the very like sensual descriptions of how how performing just makes her feel on a physical level and also a, a spiritual level this you know i i i listening back i was you know prepared to to have myself sound super low energy and just not asking great questions but i think that the talk ended up being really really nice Again, I, this is one where I, these these are my favorite interviews where you know I sort of take a back seat and just let Allison kind of go off, and it's one of those things that's important to keep in mind listening that I was feeling these feelings. You can kind of hear it in a in a couple questions that I ask that you know I'm I'm asking about loss and grief and and we like we talk about ghosts at one point and it was taking me so much cuz you know this is the first time that Alice and I are are meeting face to face at no point did I want to be like so do you want to play surrogate therapist for for this hour and can I just like unload can I just like fully trauma dump on you <laughs> but the, i mean the truth of the matter is when i did get around to like prepping for this interview and listening to Allison's music, especially Mutant Gifts, there was 
just an immense sense of comfort that it brought me, even though it is haunting and it is, it is eerie and strange and, and existential. You know, its beauty is stark. Yeah, no, it, there's just, I don't know. It's dark, but darkness doesn't have to be uncomfortable. We don't have to let it be uncomfortable. Darkness, the unknown. Sometimes, you know, as a, as a reformed goth, there always has been a, a strange comfort and a strange solace in darkness. And so, obviously, I wasn't in the ideal mindset that I would want to be going into this. But one of these interviews had to be the first I did uh, after my dad died. And this happened to be the one. Like I said, I emailed Allison like two weeks ago and was like, hey, uh, I didn't say it at the time, but I just want to fill you in on this. And I want to thank you for one, being so patient with the rescheduling, but also um, I need you to know as an artist that you, your, your music was a great sense of, of comfort during a very, very difficult time. Uh, so yeah, long-winded intro aside, I'm going to let this episode get started. come up with a a better background if i knew we were publishing video i'm in like the spare room in my apartment right now like talking <laughs> into a closet so it's not this is like my diy podcasting studio uh, my uh 
zoom meeting thing that I've been into doing is I have this like half zombie mask that I wear sometimes. <laughs> and then I have like a whole different selection of backgrounds that are all different zombie hordes. <laughs> that's that's so pretty fun. That's been sort of my fun zoom persona. It's just part of a zombie clan. I haven't seen like a lot of backgrounds in a while. Uh, I feel like, cause that was like the big thing. Everyone was doing a background cause you could upload like custom pictures. Yeah. My whole 2020 birthday party was a virtual and I, I didn't want anyone to talk. So I just had like a dance party going with like a playlist that people could like tune into. And I just switched like different backgrounds in and out and it was pretty fun. I don't, I won't ever do a zoom birthday party again though. I'd rather just like be alone if necessary. Yeah. I, I had one also in 2020 and would also not do it again. Yeah. <laughs> no, but here we are in 2022. We find, we'll find more creative ways to celebrate things on small scales, I think. So, I mean, like having looked into your work, I know that you were at the beginning of the pandemic, you were, had a dance show at the Met Opera. Um, yeah. I mean, it was an opera that was happening, but I had sort of a, a long featured dance solo that was at the top of the opera. It was for the overture of Wagner's Der Fliegende Hollander. So the first like 12 minutes of the opera was me doing a dance solo where I got to basically summon a 3D holographic lightning storm. <laughs> <laughs> It's pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. That's pretty experience. Intense. Yeah. It's, yeah. It was super, it was super intense. Yeah. I mean, it fits with the, with Wagner. I, I can imagine a lot of your, your recorded dance performances have these like 3d backgrounds that really add a cool, like digital layer to what you're doing physically. Yeah. I, I really love sort of the, I, I have a lot of respect for kind of the ghosts and the machines, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I don't see technology as this like dry thing, mm -hmm. you know, I think they're just another kind of portal that energy can pass through. And I really like being able to interact with different visual environments that can be created and sonic environments that can be created with them. Do you usually work with like a specific visual artist when you're doing those shows or those things that you're able to to program and design yourself? I mean, I've done a lot of different things in different mm -hmm. contexts. Um, one artist who I've worked with a lot is named Jason Akira Soma, and he developed a technique of live video feedback manipulation where the camera feed is being live projected, and then the camera is filming its own projection. And in the chain in between the camera and the projector. He has a lot of like custom built devices that are kind of the video equivalent of like pedals for a guitar, but for mm -hmm. video. So he's able yeah. to really change the, the quality and the texture by like, you know, hand adjusting like knobs and pedals to bring out different qualities. And then the, when the video is feeding back in its own image. It creates that endless feedback loop. Kind of like, you know, if you look 
if you're ever in a hotel room and there's like two mirrors that are exactly mm -hmm. facing each other and you see yourself in like yeah, oh yeah. infinite reflections, it's basically the video version of that. But then he's adding in these like digital effects that are able to manipulate and expand the palette of what that image can look like. Yeah. And that's super cool. It's super cool. Working with him has just really been one of my great, like most beloved collaborations. It can be very ritualistic because you can be engaging with like your own shadow, but your own shadow is deteriorating and mm -hmm. refracting. And you kind of see, it's kind of a great metaphor for seeing how your essence can sort of shatter out into the world in ways beyond you, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that's that's a really cool way of thinking about it. I, I was la laughing like to myself uh, when you said uh, it's like having a like effects pedals for guitar because when you first started describing it, I was like, I was like, oh, he's got an effects pedal. <laughs> yeah, uh, but <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really cool. Yeah, and there are a bunch of custom ones that he designed with his brother. So yeah, he's he's a he's a longtime collaborator. He's also someone who's designed a lot of the artwork I've used for different albums and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Cool. And I saw some other dance videos of yours that it sounded like it was your music set up to it. Cause the guitar tone sounded the guitar and cello, um, which is the two instruments on mutant gifts, which we'll talk about in a little bit, but um, what's it like trying to like soundtrack your own dance reels? I mean, it's great because you know what you're trying to do, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I've been working a lot as kind of trying to cross all these different mediums. And the great thing is that you're able to just be really, really clear about what you're trying to do and like do that. And then the challenging thing is that you have to do everything, yeah. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know what's it like. I mean, usually I would say that I usually write the music first like mm -hmm. I, I'm usually not recording a dance and then trying to compose music to it. Um, usually the music is the first thing mm -hmm. and then creating the visuals or the movement after that. And uh, when did you first start thinking that like, oh, I can combine these because I'm sure you have like a background in dance that was at one point separate from your background as a musician. And at what point did you kind of think like, oh, I could, you know, cross these and do this cool thing that exhibits more elements of like who I am as an artist and performer. It's sort of an ongoing evolution. You know, I, I didn't start playing music until kind of late relatively. Um, I didn't really start playing music until I was maybe about 19, 20. And at that point I was always like, I was already a very um, highly classically trained dancer and conservatory, but as a dancer and choreographer, I don't want to say it's effortless, but I would say it's kind of instinctual for me to always be thinking about the stage picture and to always be thinking about the energy of movement and how that's interacting. Like that, that part is actually more innate or more instinctual for me than the music. The music has something that has been more effort to get really confident in just because I started it a lot later. But I would say from the very beginning of playing music, like in my very first show, I think I already had dancers like choreographed mm. who were doing some kind of like physical stuff. And it's kind of always been there. 
And so like kind of moving more towards your music. So your current series is a sort of built out of this residency you had at what, what's the name of the, it's a church, right? Yeah. It's St. Um, John's church. St. John's church. Yeah. And it's in the West village of New York city. You know, the pandemic was very disruptive to all of us. Right. And <laughs> I went from being like, you know, dancing on stage at the Met to feeling rather adrift and not quite knowing where to go or who to be. And then I was invited to uh, live as an artist in residence in the church in the West Village. And that was just so amazing because I'm very much a creature of the night. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a night person and I was allowed to go in and set up all my amps and everything in this church in the middle of the night. And I could play music until three, four o'clock in the morning and to have a space in Manhattan where you can be playing electric guitar at three in the morning is kind of just really a rare gift. Mm -hmm. And I imagine the acoustics of a, of a church is just, and this church in particular, the acoustics are just like stunning. Mm -hmm. Like, it's really hard to make a bad sound in that space. Like you can basically just drop your keys and it sounds amazing. Yeah. (laughs) So it was, yeah, the, the ambiance was so inspiring and also living there. I got to know the, my roommate was, um, the priest, father Graham, who is the, um, director of that space. And, he has a practice where he sings a daily prayer in that space. He sings it once a day and he speaks it once a day. So there's this very musical ritual that is really embedded in that space already. And there's something deep about that, you know, like I'm not a specifically religious person, but I've always really loved and respected the beauty of like religious ritual and ceremony mm-hmm. and you could really feel the, the best way I know how to say it is like, you could feel the investment of that space in that space. You could feel the investment of the prayers there. And also a church is a place where so many people go to bring these really tender parts of themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, people go there with their fears, with their grief, with their joy, with their hopes. And I try to just be really open to open and respectful to all of that energy. That makes sense. No, it actually makes a lot of sense to me because I would kind of describe myself and like my relationship with religion and faith in kind of the same way that you, you just did. Uh, so that it actually reminded me of like, the one time I've been to Italy and went to the Vatican, I'm not Catholic and I don't believe in that, but um, it, like, it was very, you know, in the pure sense of the word, it was a very awesome experience, like just looking up and like, so yeah, I know that that makes a lot of, a lot of sense to me. <laughs> yeah. You can just feel all the sort of spiritual investment and, and hope, yeah, absolutely. hope for, for us to all be the best of ourselves. Right. That's Mm -hmm. what I feel like is kind of invested in some of these sacred places. Yeah. And it sounds like this one in particular had an investment specifically tied to music. Yeah. um, Father Graham is really amazing. I mean, he's very much a champion of the arts and 
actually the very first day I went to visit the church just to meet him. And, um, the moment I walked in, there was this amazing opera singer on stage, just like ripping this crazy (laughs) aria solo that just was totally mind blowing. So literally from the moment I walked in, it was just very musically inspiring for sure. Yeah. And so this has led to your project for this, this year, which is you're going to be releasing a series of EPs. I know this, this first one has a recording of your song, Mutant Gifts, performed mm-hmm. live at the church. Will mm-hmm. like future ones also feature performances at, at St. John's? I don't know that any of the other ones will have like full live performances mm-hmm. um, in the way that that one is, but there's certainly like parts or pieces of different recordings that I worked on in that space mm-hmm. that are making their way into the final product. Okay. But that was sort of a, I'm not, I'm not living there anymore. Mm-hmm. And that was the only song that I captured like um, in, in full, mm-hmm. like in a live way in that space. But like one of the songs I'm working on now called blue I recorded the same cellist who's on mutant gifts. I also tracked him in St. John's. So his cello and this other song blue was also recorded in that space and some of the other guitar parts I'm using and stuff like that. So it is like trickling its way into current projects. Nice. Yeah. 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 Mutant gifts is a, I think my mom called it um, haunting because I was (laughs) listening to to your stuff around uh, around her recently, uh, and she was like, "This is beautiful, but it's haunting." <laughs> and I was like, eh, "Kind of, I guess." Yeah. And um, there's I I got that too a little bit because I listened to your album from a few years ago, Psycho Tycho, which felt haunting in a different way. I, I liked a lot of the, I don't know, it's like cliche to call things Lynchian, but I could visualize it as being part of the soundtrack to like a david lynch type movie there was a lot of like trip hop elements but that one's really cool thank you i mean i'm i love david lynch and i love trip hop so thanks you know those are definitely both major influences i think you know like i said i i kind of came to music later coming from the dance world so i think oftentimes just very naturally my music has kind of a cinematic like i'm trying to create a world that someone could live in or something could happen in as opposed to like a song that's kind of hitting you over the head i'm often trying to create more like an environment or an event if that makes sense yeah it does yeah i think especially when i consider it in relation to like when you're writing a song that you're going to be choreographing a dance to it seems like even when you're working in an audio medium, you're still trying to give it presence in a physical space. Yeah. Like I said, it's, I feel like it's not even something I try to do. That's just sort of like an innate aspect of my approach, you know, like most of my early relationship to music was dancing to music. And I was really lucky to get to dance to a lot of live accompaniment all through my training and my career. And so then when I started making music, I wasn't thinking about like, oh, what's the chord or what's the song structure? What's the chorus? I was thinking about like, oh, how do I want the music to feel in my body? I want it to make me feel like I'm 
moving this way, moving that way. And I, it's not that I was even thinking about it as trying to choreograph to it, but that's just how I feel music is. This, mm-hmm. It's, it's very visceral for me. Like, how is it hitting me physically? How is it making me feel to be a human creature getting hit by these sound waves? You know, I, yeah. I think I've just always had a very visceral approach to it, even with singing, like, you know, I'm never thinking about what note I'm singing. I'm thinking about like, where is the physical pathway through my body that the sound is traveling? Mm-hmm. It's more like a, a physical map than a, I'd say it's more of a physical map than a technically musical map for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. That's a, re- that's a, I don't know. I like, I like that a lot. I like that description a lot. I'm just so used to work, working for muscle memory. You yeah. know, I just have had years and years of just really trying to sensate into, into muscle memory. So I think that kind of just comes through maybe. Yeah. I mean, it rem- reminds me of something you said earlier too, about like kind of working with your own shadow. I think it was something to that effect. Mm-hmm. It feels it's not, I don't want to say it's like, like a subconscious thing almost because you're like you're in control of your movements, but it it sounds like it's, you're really examining the relationship between different senses sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love that parallel because, you know, as an artist, all the things kind of connect, right? Like it's all coming from sort of your, your essence and, you know, you're making me think right now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, no. Just sort of a, a new thought that's coming to my mind that I think might is actually kind of interesting to me is like, you know, in my dance training or my job as a professional dancer is basically to be able to move any part of my body in any direction at any time. Right. Like that's Mm -hmm. the task is, has been for me to train my instrument, my, of my body tool to be able to have a level of coordination where you could be like, you know, I need your arm here on the one and your leg here on the, and, and your head here on the two, you know, Mm -hmm. and and you have to be able to pass really quickly. And, and the process of being able to do that requires a lot of letting go of tension. You know, you just have to be so relaxed in order to be able to do that without hurting yourself. Right. So, so much of dance training for me, I mean, a lot of different people approach it differently, but in the particular genre of dancing that I've been working, a lot of it has been about like almost trying to disappear. I, you know, it's like, you're almost trying to make yourself so available that you are almost trying to evaporate so that you can be completely available to what is being asked of you at the moment. And I think I'm, I'm just sort of having now the moment that I think I kind of appreciate how that mindset has translated into making music because so much of making music to me is, is also, is again about like listening. And like, when you say your mom's like, Oh, this song is so haunting. Like, you know, I wrote that song while I was living in this church that was like empty because of the pandemic, right? Like people weren't, allowed in the church other, um, other than the priest and myself. And, you know, it's just a very crazy time. And I think I, I, 
I did try to just be really open to the ghosts who wanted to talk, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like I did try to just be open to the ghosts in that space, the ghosts in the, that wanted to speak through the technology and the machines, the ghosts who wanted to speak through the, the space, the ghosts who had invested in that space. I think I'm happy to try to let myself disappear and let myself be haunted by whatever, whoever wants to come. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so what is, what is mutant gifts about? I guess, I guess in my mind, uh, it felt like this being going through a lot of, a lot of change on like, like a existential personal level. One of the lines that struck out end up paraphrasing but you can give me the exact one is i i didn't like where i was and i don't know how to be where i am mm-hmm. anyway that the, that line in particular really stuck out to me well i think you know if that's how it resonated for you then that's true okay you know like for me however people feel my art then that's what it is right because it's a um it's a two-way relationship Like in some way, my, my intention doesn't matter that much, how you experienced it and your perception is equally as valid as my, as what I'm putting forth. It's a, for me, it's kind of like a, a two-way conversation. Like, of course I have, I have the things that I'm thinking about that, you know, the sort of personal narratives or personal, personal mythologies that come into writing lyrics, but I also kind of aim to write lyrics that people can invest their own stories into. That's kind of a goal. So for me, whatever story you feel, that's the story. <laughs> I, I guess I, I could say those particular lyrics kind of maybe, I have been going through a lot of changes for sure, but aren't we all always going through a lot of changes? And I, I think I was maybe kind of just speaking to the sort of inherent discomfort of being a human and how it can be hard to know how to just be here and wherever here is and try to figure out what we're supposed to be doing with that. Mm -hmm. Definitely agree with like a marriage, sort of a balancing between the, uh, like the, the two fallacies, right? Intentional and artificial. I think a lot of people operate in that with that mindset where it's, you know, it's definitely a relationship between what's being put in and what's being received. There's a, there's a, a, a Sufi practice that I always thought was really interesting. And I also, I might not explain this exactly correctly, but um, the idea is like, there's you and there's this thing outside of you, right? Mm-hmm. And this thing outside of you could be a person, it could be an object. And if you try to really concentrate on one task. Number one is try to really concentrate on that thing in front of you. So that's concentration. So I'm trying to really concentrate on you, Harry, and I'm trying to really just put my energy into perceiving you. And then contemplation is me trying to be you seeing me, right. It's trying to put yourself in reversed, uh, state of awareness where you're trying to perceive yourself through the eyes of another person or of another object. And then, so that's 
task number two is contemplation. And then task number three is like meditation, which is where you're trying to hold both at the same time mm-hmm. so that you can both be fully perceiving and also trying to be aware of the other person's other person or even other objects perception of you and hold both as real. I felt really grateful when I came across that, like, it's kind of a silly thing, but it just sort of was, I thought it was such a nice, clear way (laughs) of trying to deal with the chaos of reality. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Um, I imagine that's, it's also a, whether you're consciously using that specific Sufi practice or, you know, cause that sort of just is in essence, like human interaction where it's like, no one likes to feel like they're in a one-sided sort of interaction or a relationship. Like you want to be understood and, and seen as much as you want to see another person and understand them. But yeah, I just, I imagine that's a, been an important practice to like remind yourself of especially in the past two years of of pandemic times yeah i just i just i remember when i read that just thinking like oh like that's such a nice like you're saying it's just a nice simple way of thinking about interacting with the world you know that it doesn't have to be all about you asserting yourself on the world and also it doesn't have to be all about you being passive and at the whims of, you know, being tossed around by the oceans that there, that like there can be ideally that they can, they can work together. Yeah. The idea that like, we all have an ego, we just don't have to be egotistical about it. Right. Right. Yeah. That's, I'm going to, I'm going to look up that, <laughs> try to see if, see if I can hunt that down. And... Uh, I, I read it. It's a, there's a book called um, living from the heart by I'm going to, I can't remember the name of the author, pure and bare, maybe. Okay. And a heart rhythm meditations. And it gives a lot of different, uh, specific, like, you know, kind of practical meditation things. And this particular book was given to me by the mother of, of my friend who passed away and it was her book. So it's been a book that, um, yeah, I've read a lot. (laughs) I keep it actually, I keep it actually under my seat in my car kind of like a protection talisman (laughs) oh that's that's really sweet yeah i always find it interesting what um what like like uh, physical objects people hold on to after you know losing someone like for instance uh years ago after my uh, grandfather passed like he was a big like audiophile you know that had like a great stereo system like from the Mm. 70s and so i like took that stereo system and that became my main stereo system. Oh, that's so great. Yeah. And it's, but it's, you know, it's like one of those like old school ones. That's all like wood grain. And so it feels super retro. So awesome. How does it sound? Oh, it sounds, it still sounds really, really good. Yeah. What a, what a gift. What a gift. I mean, I feel like so many people now who just are listening to music on their phones or their computers, they're just really missing out on, giving themselves the gift of like a sonic experience yeah because it's really different to sort of just like intellectually kind of process music versus to really allow the vibrations to like surround you and wash over you in the way that a nice set of speakers can if i was a fairy godmother i would want to give the whole world (laughs) like a set of nice speakers yeah 
No, for for sure. It uh, like the word soundscape comes to mind, and it's such an appropriate way to to refer to that experience. That it just like again, like sound is a physical thing. It it has a physical presence in our our world. It's not just like when I think you're just like streaming music on the subway or whatever out of your phone. Like you don't get that that full reminder that like music can move you like literally. Yeah, you like can actually like vibrate through your bones yeah. in in ways that can be so healing or so agitating. Yeah, depending, uh, I've, <laughs> I've been at some shows where I like I went to a show at like a, a college arena once, and the the mixing was so terrible and the bass was turned up so loud that I could it hurt my feet <laughs> to mm-hmm. stand wow. on the floor. Yeah, because it was just vibrating so much. Like, yeah, yeah, crazy. It didn't help that there were just like college bros all around. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I was like, to my friend, I was like, I think I, think I want to go sit down. It was like me be, being like, all right, we're getting older. <laughs> <laughs> but I also, I also love going to shows like, like a Sano show or something where, you know, they're being really mm-hmm. intentional about just like hitting you with these intense waves of sound with these just like stacks and stacks of speakers, you know, but they're so intentional about how they use it that it's like really can be quite a powerful experience yeah absolutely similar i haven't seen them but i have seen like swans Mm. live i was just listening to swans last night oh nice yeah they're good they're a good time yeah well most of the time (laughs) if you again if you appreciate noise then they're a really good time yeah Um, but live they were just constant sound coming out of a giant wall of amps Mm -hmm. to the point where like if you weren't wearing earplugs you probably suffered significant hearing damage yes you should always see them with earplugs they're one of the bands that you need them for (laughs) need them but probably like on how did your body feel after seeing that felt i think it felt fine i you know, I, this was many years ago and I was working the door at the the club that they played at. So my mind wasn't, you know, focused on releasing myself into this experience. Cause I ha- did have to be there for work, mm-hmm. but I could feel it like at the door, mm-hmm. like, you know, you, like it was making that corner of the building shake. Mm-hmm. And I just remember thinking like, this is really cool that like they can be this loud. So I wasn't in the presence of mind enough to like remember how I right. felt physically after but you know I did notice the like the physical impact it was having I mean it sounds like you did it sounds like you do remember like I can see you like I, as you're talking I can see you like moving and it's like you know those physical yeah. memories get stored in the body I feel like you know as as sensation that then we can go back and refer to mm-hmm. yeah I hope to someday have a strong enough roadie to where I can be doing crazy sound <laughs> installations with a lot of amps. Oh yeah. Put, I put that on the bucket list. <laughs> yeah. It would be, I feel like it would be a, a like a stark because one of the things that stood out about mutant gifts and that, and that performance is like, you really do allow in between your guitar playing and your singing and the cello, you did allow a lot of space for that. The ambiance of that, that room you were describing to kind of come through and, and let it, you know, just space between the way, the way you referred to it as ghosts earlier feels appropriate. I, I think I try to have respect for the sound 
-hmm. if that makes sense, you know, like every sound like has its, you know, it has its own wave. It has its own timeline on when it's decides that it's done. Yeah. And, uh, I try to just, I do try to kind of give things the space that they need. I think even when I'm not in a space like that, even if I'm just sitting at my laptop or whatever, I really like to use kind of like delays and reverbs and mix a bunch of effects together and just then kind of let them have their own life and come up with composing is, is so much an act of listening for me of just where, like how, like how much time, how much space does this particular sound chain want to take up? Interesting. I've, uh, cause I only, cause I did like theater for a number of years you're taught as an actor that like at most of acting is also is listening. So it's like a similar principle. And, and same thing with dancing too. I mean, when I was younger, especially, you know, I've done my main training is ballet. And when I was younger, I very much was trying to kind of contort my body from the outside in to create these sort of external shapes but there was really quite a, I really hit a limit. Like I hit sort of a mm-hmm. dead end in my technique of how far that approach would get me. And at a certain stage, I was, I was really lucky to come to come to find some really amazing teachers and mentors who helped me find a new way. And, and now when I'm dancing, even if I'm in ballet class, I'm not thinking about the shapes at all. I'm really thinking about it from the inside out of like, how does my bone want to move? How does my shoulder blade want to slide across my back? How does that connect to my, you know, fluid system? How does that connect to my organs? And really listening to that is how I've been able to improve my technique. Like you have to kind of invite your body to do more rather than command your body to do more with the sort of more commanding mentality that I had when I was younger at a certain point, it, it just sort of hits a wall, you know, like what ends up happening is you injure yourself. The injury then forces you to go in and listen deeper because you have to be more articulate and understanding exactly how that bone and exactly how that tendon and exactly how that muscle can all work together to accomplish whatever movement you're trying to accomplish. But there is a limit. And that's what you, you have to like, listen to your, your body when it is saying that like, Hey, make, like you can't overextend this right now. Or, or you have to find another way. Mm-hmm. A big part of dancing is like, sometimes you're faced with like, like I once danced for 20 hours in a week. I had a week where I had to dance for 20 hours and I broke my toe on the first day <laughs> because of the crazy circumstances. I had to keep dancing with this broken toe for the next week. Right. And so there, like, I did have to, to a certain way override the pain. Right. But it was really about finding, I couldn't just keep dancing, putting all my pressure on that broken toe. I had to really be soft and supple in my body to allow it to find new pathways to do the same movement without relying on that toe to support my weight. So it's like, I think in some ways, when you're soft, then there's not as much of a limit. You know, like if you're hard, if you're hard about something, you're going to come up, up against a limit really fast. Like you try to push, your body's going to be like, nope, push back that game over, done. But if you're like soft, 
and more kind of curious, then the limits don't come so quickly. Mm-hmm. And some other option that might be different might present itself. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't I don't know like any I don't have any like background in dancing and I don't like don't know it at the the technical level. So this is all like really new and interesting. It's sort of a it's sort of a weird thing to talk about. It's not actually something I've talked about a lot because you know, it's just like all these, you know, weird neurological pathways inside my own body. So it feels a little like navel gazing to try to like explain it to other people. <laughs> like, oh, you know, when I rotate this bone this way to these degrees, then this other muscle can relax or whatever. Like nobody wants to hear about that, you know, <laughs> but um, I'm grateful for that. Surviving as a professional dancer for an extended period of time is quite difficult, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you have to dance through injuries. You have to dance when your body maybe doesn't want to dance, but the sort of um, creative problem solving that you learn on such a fundamental level of like actually being able to move differently and to be able to change your whole perception of not just how change your perception of how you're organizing your body and space. It's like, it's kind of fundamental. Mm-hmm. And I, and I'm, I'm grateful for the kind of flexibility that that's sort of, I've had to learn by fire. Yeah. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, but, and before I forget, I wanted to, um, so you, you had mentioned you're a guest lecturer at MIT. Uh, yeah, I've, I've been going there like once per semester usually and, uh, teaching, being a guest lecturer in either like the dance choreography or improvisation classes. Oh, cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to forget that MIT has a robust arts program as well. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that they have a lot of arts majors, um, but they have so many people who are quite amazing artists, you know, like Mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of people who are really good at robotics, maybe also were like really amazing at ballet Mm -hmm. and the students are there are just so smart and it's, it's a really awesome environment to get to teach and interact. Just like, wow, I'm rolling around on the floor with someone who's like, inventing the new like heart implant technique or whatever. It's like, it's yeah. like pretty, pretty epic <laughs> to just like, it's kind of like blows my mind a little bit. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff going on. So I, um, I work down there. I work for a lab that isn't like part of MIT, but it's like partially funded by MIT and like jointly funded by MIT and Harvard. What's it called? It's called. Uh, oh, cool. So what, does, what are y'all doing there? Well, so usually they do like uh, research on like the human genome and a lot of it I think is in relation to the way infectious diseases affect the human genome. Um, but because of that specialty, it's become a, like a huge testing center for COVID, like uh, analyzing filled COVID tests, not just like, wow, not like a testing center that like people visit. It's where all the tests get shipped to. Um, right. But we to analyze the, the yeah, data and everything. Wow. Yeah, we ship out the supplies to sites and then we receive the field tests back. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> what have been some of the more interesting like revelations or insights or things that you've oh, experienced out being there? Uh that like I mean, not that the the pharmaceutical supply industry uh wasn't already massive, but like 
you know, like these, these testing supplies are not free in most mm-hmm. cases, unless I think they're like a state sponsored site and, you know, they're, they're pretty pricey orders. And like, when I heard the price of that, I was like, damn, like, you know, someone still found a way to make some money off, <laughs> off the pandemic. I mean, I think a lot of people, a lot of people did. Yeah. As a, as a friend of mine put it a few months ago, he was like, he was like, you gotta, everybody's got to find their own scam. (laughs) You know, you got to find your hustle. (laughs) Yeah. It's really crazy, crazy times. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. Anyway, we're coming up at about an hour, but, um, is there anything you'd like to close with? Just like, thank you for listening. Really? You know, like the music kind of doesn't exist without the listener. Right. So just thank you for listening. And that's kind of what makes it real. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on and and talking with me. And this was, this was a great, great conversation. I I'm really looking forward to editing this and and putting it out. Yeah. My Um, pleasure. Really nice to meet you. Yeah. Nice to meet you too. And, you know, keep, keep me updated on like future releases, please. Yeah, I will. And let me know if you're ever down in Brooklyn. Oh, hell yeah. I like, I love your coat, by the way. That's like my, thank you. That's like my favorite pattern. Yeah. It's uh, it's fairly new and it's also just like, you know, like cold up in here. So (laughs) um, I have a, I have a coat that's really similar. Can I show you? Yeah, please.
Whew. Yeah, like I said at the top of the episode, I really wanted that song to just run. Just so you get the full effect of that. That's such a, that's Mutant Gifts. The track at the top of the episode is called Dreamland Tokyo. That one to close us out, Mutant Gifts by Allison Clancy. Like I said in the intro, you can see Allison perform on May 6th at 8 p.m. That's a Friday night. That's on Vassar Street in Cambridge at uh, MIT Building W97. I don't know if that <laughs> building has a more official name or anything, but I definitely, definitely recommend going as I cannot. Yeah, put on by the MIT Music and Theater Arts Department. I hope I'll get another opportunity if not for this one, but uh, another opportunity to see Allison perform in something like this. The way she describes it in the episode makes it sound particularly enticing. Anyway, uh, next week, I will be back with Spring Silver, and they'll be telling me about their most recent album and their upcoming show in Boston. So tune in for that, and I will see you next week. Bye.